Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Good afternoon, gentle listeners, and welcome to Yeah Na Pasaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith, and this week I am joined by Talia Laven, who is the author of Culture Warlords, My Journey into the Dark Web of White Supremacy. Thanks for joining us, Talia. Hello, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, thanks. Uh, we last spoke to you back in October. Has anything happened with the far right since then at all? Oh, no, they've been very quiet and chill and totally fine you know not not anything problematic or trying to murder all our legislators or anything like that all right well that's good news short interview thanks for joining us. yeah 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 no total all quiet on the nazi front over here just kidding they're horrible <laughs> and spreading that's the first thing i want to talk to you about is uh you've been involved with a new group that has started up called Platform hate i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what that's all about yeah um it started around the election it's a little bit in between right now. But essentially what we do is uh, share information and work to get some of the worst hate mongers deplatformed from social media sites and also from payment processors, basically hitting Nazis where it hurt from, you know, from behind our, from behind our screens. (laughs) It's a pretty small group of dedicated individuals and can check out more of our work on deplatformhate.com. I noticed that you had a statement on the site about not working with any sort of CVE practitioners. Why is that? So CVE, or Countering Violent Extremism, as it's called, is a bit of a euphemism for the way like law enforcement in the United States has worked on the problem of extremism. It's historically, you know, it's, it's a war on terror era term, and it's historically been focused pretty exclusively on the Muslim community it's sort of about like these, like they call them efforts at de-radicalization. They call them, they're, they, they, they describe themselves all sorts of ways. Mostly they got a lot of grant funding and cooperated extensively with law enforcement. We were more interested in a, a grassroots approach and we do not as a rule cooperate with law enforcement or work with them in any way, just because law enforcement in the United States is so utterly captive to extremism. I noticed this morning uh, as we record that Deloitte Economics just booked the $6 million gig to track capital rioters for the federal government. It could have been a nice little win, though, if you were a little more open to working with the government. I know. 
I think about this all the time. Like if I were just willing to sell my soul a lot, a little, like any degree to which I'm willing to compromise my principles would mean a fatter paycheck. And also that men report on the far right tend to do a lot better financially, (laughs) but I can't change the latter. I don't know. I just, I just feel like if all I were in this for was a fat contract, you know, that would be one thing, but I'm not. Um, I do it my own way and cannot buy myself fabulous hats and such, but I do okay. And that's okay with me. Now, January 6th was a bit of a big day in the United States. How was your January 6th this year? I was covering stuff live for the New Republic that day. And, you know, I, I had been sort of scheduled to write an article about the rally and just the whose general theme was basically hey, like they've been sort of strung along on these dangerous conspiracy theories and like what what's going to happen, like what's going to happen. And then I called my editor midday and was like, hey, they're they're storming the Capitol, I, I see, and uh, wound up having to revise my piece on the fly to reflect the, uh, the facts on the ground. Yeah, it was a, a pretty scary day over here. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting to me. It's, it's interesting to me that, that there's this, I mean, there is this concentrated law enforcement like operation against people who are there. Although it seems most of the sentences are going to be very, very light. But like, like the the people who were actually there are one thing, but you know, people who share their views about the 2020 election, about the American political system, about Donald Trump as sort of a godhead type figure, our myriad, our legion, you can't like arrest people for thinking stupid things. And unfortunately, months of conspiracy theories indulged from the highest platform in the land has resulted in a public that that believes a whole lot of very destructive lies. Which is not to say that I'm like a booster for the US government. Hardly. I just don't think that the specific election uh, of last year was like a massive front for voter fraud to persecute Christ's messenger on earth, Donald J. Trump. Uh, Did you find it surprising how it went down? Because in one sense, it was like sort of obvious that this is where it was all heading. I mean, after the fact, but still at the time, I was a little bit shocked when the cable ties came out. Oh, yeah, I was shocked. I mean, it, it was a shocking thing. It was wild to sort of see it from a distance, but, you know, sort of see it unfold in real time. It sort of felt like, I mean, I had been talking with people in our, like the the real root of it was that Donald Trump had called his supporters to have a, quote, wild protest at the Capitol the day of the election certification, reporting sort of borne out that he really believed that this sort of theory that had been bandied around that like the election results could be decertified by Mike Pence that day, his vice president. I mean, Trump seemed to believe it himself and and felt like betrayed by Mike Pence. And, 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 but he had called his supporters to have a quote, wild protest. Like, so, so it was a specifically a response to a direct call by Trump that drew people to the Capitol. He spoke. He told them to march on Congress, and they did. And that was kind of the motivation for the vast majority of folks. A lot were involved in the QAnon conspiracy theory, which holds that. I mean, I'm sure your your viewers, are, your listeners are familiar, but it basically is the idea that Donald Trump was the only force holding back the satanic pedophiles in the Democratic Party and the deep state and celebrities. Tom Hanks drinks blood, this whole 
deal. Some were members of militias. And I think the government is, is prosecuting some conspiracy cases against members of groups like the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters who, you know, were there in larger numbers and with the more deliberate goal of sort of military action, i.e. some, uh, some, some light murder, a little light treason. But the thing about it also that struck me ever since and that I've been mulling over in my head is how many people believe they were doing it for God, that they were the true patriots, that they were doing it for Jesus. Mm. I mean, like increasingly politics in the United States is really cast in these fundamentally Manichaean terms of light and darkness, evil versus good. And that's coming pretty entirely from the right. You know, the best lack all conviction, et cetera, et cetera. Or at least the left lacks all conviction. Uh, You recently wrote a piece about Ashley Babbitt, the woman who was shot during the Capitol riots. What did you find out when you looked into her life? So like a lot of people who were involved in the riot, she was a military veteran. She spent 14 years in the U.S. Air Force. She was very, very deep into QAnon conspiracy theories. Her sort of last tweet was something along the lines of like, we are the storm and we're descending on the Capitol. We're going to cleanse Washington, D.C. It was, it was very conspiratorial, very earnest. And yeah, she, she got shot by a Capitol police officer as she was breaching the building. Of course, since even since I wrote that article like last Friday, Donald Trump has come out and, and said, who shot Ashley Babbitt? You know, he's been sort of seeking out the specific name of the, the Capitol police officer who, who fired the shot, very much playing into the, the, this cult of martyrdom that has sprung up around her. You know, you can find t-shirts, rap songs, lots of ballads <laughs> dedicated to her. And, you know, she's become a, a, a martyr figure in a very big way. This idea of she sacrificed herself for us. She, she died for the cause. And, and the, the contrast I drew in that piece was to another woman, the other woman who died that day, who was a woman named Roseanne Boydland, who was a lot like Ashley Babbitt in a lot of ways. She was in her mid-30s, a fervent QAnon believer, you know, a, a really intense Trump supporter. But she died from, basically, she like overdosed on meth while like that day and, you know, she had, she was sort of trampled by the crowd as well and wasn't able to get revived in time and she died. But, you know, someone dying of a, of an overdose slash suffocation is not kind of as sexy a martyrology as someone who's shot in the neck. And so her, she's utterly sort of vanished from, from the, uh, the narrative of that day. She doesn't, crop up and to me that was very telling but like there's a there's a history in the united states we have a pretty ferocious anti-government movement with long legs and a a long past and there are certain moments that have made that have sort of turned into touchstones among them certainly the, the the waco compound siege where a lot of kids died you know burned down by the atf and then um there was a moment called ruby ridge which was a family of white supremacists it was Randy Weaver and his family, and and they uh, were killed by the the government in sort of this extended shootout. They were heavily armed. 
but you know, the kids were killed, the, the parents were killed. And so it's become really this, this massive touchstone of kind of martyrology on the far right and, and sort of perennial proof here, you know, here are martyrs, here are dead, you know, and, and I think martyrs and myths are, are always driving forces for movements of all kinds. So Ashley Babbitt has joined the ranks of the Weavers and, and the, and, and, and Waco as sort of moments of kind of mythological anti, almost uh, like anti-government martyrs of, of colossal and towering mythological status. Ashley was an Air Force veteran. Is it a concern that so many people from the armed forces are falling into these sort of QAnon modes of belief? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I I wrote an article about this for the New Republic a little while ago about specifically the role of extremism in the military and among veterans. The concern among veterans is actually a little bit higher just because the the U.S. military is not particularly well equipped to deal with extremism uh, and they don't... you know, in my piece, I wrote about a, a, a Marine who had like, ri- like a, an active U.S. Marine machine gunner who'd like written anti-Semitic comments on my Instagram. And I was like, hey, what's up with that? Kind of complained. And, you know, lo and behold, he's still being trained in machine gunning by the U.S. Army, which isn't scary at all. But veterans are particularly vulnerable to this this kind of pursuit. They're very heavily sought after by extremist groups, you know, militias in particular, uh, there's a lot of overlap between militias, which are sort of, because America is a very special place. We have just like armed gangs that kind of exist semi-legally and have a lot of guns and are all over the country. Some are national, like the Oath Keepers, some are local. And they recruit for veterans very heavily because veterans know how to shoot guns well. <laughs> they were trained to do it. And the other thing about these groups is that they very much hew to kind of a military ideas of discipline, military forms of organization. And so they become very appealing to people who are veterans who return from our hideous and ongoing foreign wars, you know, feeling lost or feeling sad. And they also frame everything in a very military militant way of like, you're fighting for America. Uh, You're fighting for the soul of the country or, you know, you're saving the Republic. And that was kind of what a lot of folks came into January 6th with this, this notion that they were sort of godly warriors in the, you know, army, like, of, of saving the the country from evil. And, And that's very sort of appealing to folks who have been in an army before. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We're currently talking to Talia Laban about all things January 6th. With J6, I think it's been sort of weird to see the way that the narrative around it has shifted on the right. Uh, for a while, it seemed like there was a push to minimise January 6th, or do you say, you know, it wasn't really that big of a deal. What are you seeing coming from the right now in terms of how it's being framed? Well, I mean, an interesting thing about the right is like, uh, as I wrote in my piece and, and just like as I've noticed when I set out to explore that very question, there are like 8,000 different theories, you know, it was anti-fascists who were, you know, dressed in this way to like discredit the movement of patriots. Uh, You know, it was a false flag. It was, I mean, so there's a very popular theory that it was, it it never happened. You know, it it, it was like secretly Antifa operatives. There's a, you know, 
and and that kind of took hold earlier, like very early, where you know the images that were coming out were sort of shocking and horrifying, and so there was this sort of mass disavowal. Then there's then there's been a, a subsequent minimization of like it wasn't that big a deal. I think the current narrative holds like. <laughs> But, you know, while these, uh, while these theories, like, on the surface seem fundamentally contradictory, the wonderful thing about the, the right is that it's capacious. All of these things, you can believe all of these things at once, somehow. And as far as I can tell, it's like, anti-fascists did it, but if they didn't, it wasn't a big deal, and it's been exaggerated, and the people who are being prosecuted are are being politically prosecuted and sacrificed and their martyrs in their own right and you can certainly see that in their fundraising that language of kind of we're the true patriots and we are being you know this is a political prosecution against us you know we're martyrs of the revolution in essence so it's like it was an anti-fascist false flag and also a heroic effort to save the union and it it was both at the same time and like that might seem on the surface to be impossible to hold in your mind at once but it's kind of whatever is most useful and 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 uh people who are deep into conspiratorial webs are sort of used to holding contradictory ideas in their minds at the same time and do it very well Returning to the idea of deplatforming hate for a moment, I think it was just this week that uh, Nick Fuentes from the Groyko movement was uh, taken off Twitter. <laughs> what, what did you make of that decision by Twitter in this the year of our Lord at 2021? I mean, come on. Like, what have you been waiting for? <laughs> Homeboy has been an open Nazi for years. Like, that's what he does. He's a big Holocaust denier. He's a white supremacist and proud of it and, like, leading a youth movement across the entire country in the U.S. to, like, inculcate very young people into very hardline Nazi beliefs. And so, I mean, I'm glad about it. He had, like, a massive following on Twitter to spread just, like, pure racial invective. So, like, I'm not sad. I just think, like, where the hell have you been? And can you take some of his peers like Jack Posobiec with you? But, you know, that's sort of neither here nor there. He's stuck on Telegram now. I mean, he's trying to spin it as like, cool, now I can say whatever I like. And I really hate Jews. And I'm, and I'm going to say it even louder now. It's like, okay, cool. But you'll say it to fewer people. And that's what matters. I mean, like, I'm very, I'm pretty like militantly pro deplatforming. Others may disagree with me and they can be wrong. That's fine for them. (laughs) Functionally, I mean, Fuentes have been removed from YouTube for being a a big, big old Nazi. Uh, He had been, you know, removed from D live, which is a, a video streaming service for the same reason. I mean, Twitter was sort of the last bastion of his ability to reach a mass mainstream audience. And now it's gone, and I'm very glad. And I, I would like Jack Posobiec and James O'Keefe and lots of other people to also lose their blue checks and massive followings. But yeah, I'm a pretty firm proponent of deplatforming hate and like depriving these folks of their microphones, which they use to radicalize people in ways that are deeply harmful to the social fabric of a multiracial democracy and are not compatible with it. <laughs> I guess what I'm wondering is, do, do you think that the big tech companies have gotten any better 
at this sort of thing because it just sort of seems quite random that he's getting booted in July 2021. I'm very blackpilled on Silicon Valley. Like, I'm just like, they do what's profitable. They, the whole decision-making system there is, is very much a black box to me. I don't trust them to be good actors, good stewards of the public discourse. And I think I would be crazy to me uh, to, to believe otherwise at this point. I do think pressure campaigns against social media and, and payment processors can be useful. And that's kind of a cornerstone of deplatform hate. You know, it's like we have to take it into our own hands because they're not going to proactively ban a Nazi. Heaven forfend. But, you know, I mean, that's kind of the... That's kind of the deal. I do not, no, I do not trust Silicon Valley in, in the slightest. <laughs> Already Facebook has fomented genocides elsewhere. I'm not, I don't know why they would uh, be any different in the United States, right? I mean, Facebook was instrumental in January 6th as well. These massive stop the steel groups, rallies for months, organized on Facebook leading up to that day. And so, no, I, I absolutely do not trust big tech in any for more fashion to be responsible stewards of a very fragile and very kind of new thing in the United States, which is multiracial democracy as opposed to all white rule. The things that our enemies like so lust to return to are actively trying to turn, you know, turn back the clock and force everyone else back underground. That's what they're doing every day. And then, you know, from Telegram to state legislatures, that's their goal, and they're not shy about stating it. I guess just finally, on the topic of Fuentes, obviously he has big plans for the GOP. Do you see them going in the direction that he wants, or do you think that there could still be some sort of pushback against this wholesale anti-Semitism? I mean, anti-Semitism is, is sort of an interesting issue in the GOP because Christian Zionism, the sort of idea... It's a very creepy, like, eschatological idea. Not scatological, eschatological, meaning <laughs> relating to the end of the world. This this very popular idea in U.S. Christianity, po- popularized by the Left Behind comic book series and lots of other stuff that basically, uh, and incidentally, the Book of Revelation has some, some commentary on it, but the idea that that, like, basically Jesus is going to come back and he will convert the Jews in this sort of orgiastic moment of finally, like the the Jews will have full control of Israel and Jesus will convert us en masse. uh, And the ones that don't convert will die. And this is like extremely important to Christian eschatology. And so the idea of like Jews controlling Israel wholly, first of all, like it, it, it basically points to a, a pretty like, like genocidal policies against the Palestinians and really has like the, the, the massive outpouring of cash and uh, passion from us evangelicals has pushed Israel further to the right because these people just really can't like, cannot like do not give any shits about Palestinian lives at all. Because their dream is a Jewish kingdom that that Jesus can return to in order to convert or kill the Jews. That's that's what they're aiming for, and and that's a really big part of a lot of Christians' worldview, and it, it drives U.S. policy in a big way. It was the major driver for the move of the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. Like this is a very powerful political faction in the United States, Christian Zionists. 
And, and because their idea of like a Jewish Israel is so like instrumental to their, like the, the end of the world that they, they want so badly. Like they, you'll notice a lot, like I'm a big friend of Israel. That's like a huge comment um, that you see all the time uh, on the U S right. So I don't know if Fuentes is like, and you can certainly be a big friend of Israel and really hate Jews here and like want them to, to, to move away. I don't think Christian Zionism is, is good for the Jews in, in, in general. Um, uh, although the Israeli right has made kind of a, a, a devil's bargain with it, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, so I, the, 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 the reason for that long and rambling answer is that anti-Semitism is a bit complicated by strident Christian Zionism on the U.S. right. But I think everything else that Fuentes wants, I mean, the virulent xenophobia, the genocidal cruelties towards minorities, the open and gleeful racism. I mean, I mean, this is stuff that that's, yeah, that's like part of the GOP mainstream already. Like uh, the, the Nazification of the GOP is like very scary and very intense and accelerating. I mean, it's almost like they're, they're trying to out ship post each other all the time. It, it's very scary to see, you know, I'm not saying it's ever been like a benevolent force for good and, and, the US, but just over the past over the past five years in the Trump era, the kind of division between the extremist fringe and the GOP has essentially like vanished. I mean, it's it's melting away, such as it ever was. Well, Talia, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. If people want to follow you on Twitter, at chick underscore in underscore Kiev, they, people can also find you on Patreon at patreon.com slash Talia Laven if they want to uh, redress that uh, imbalance of male anti-fascists getting all the cash. And the book, of course, is Culture Warlords, My Journey into the Dark Web of White Supremacy, wherever you get your books. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. And if you like the sound of my voice, I read the audiobook. Well, all right, boppers, that is all we've got time for. Global Intifada is up next. I will catch you next week.
Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter.